as it began a new series last week, uh, we're calling it the, the pursuit of spiritual maturity. And you know, I think it's good coming off of this previous season to be engaging in this subject because oftentimes God matures us in the midst of conflict. He matures us in the midst of difficulty. He matures us in the midst of those times that, that, that you know, are, 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 we find ourselves very, um, very needy, very dependent, uh, where we need God's wisdom and direction and help. And we kind of become um, depleted of our own resources internally. And we recognize that, that our need for God is great. And um, I pray that if, if one thing that has really kind of come out of this season um, is that we'd recognize just how much we need the Lord. You know, that, that really we're, we're not in control of anything, right? We're not in control of anything. God is over and in control of all things. And, and as we lean on him and trust him, he gives us the grace we need, the wisdom we need, and the, the guidance we need to, to navigate the, uh, the courses of life that we find ourselves on. And so, um, so we're looking at this idea of, of spiritual maturity, right? And more specifically, pursuing spiritual maturity. Every, every parent desires to see their child grow into uh, full stature, right? In every, in every area of their lives, right? We want to see them grow physically. We want to see them grow emotionally. We want to see them grow intellectually and, and spiritually. We, we, want, we want our children to thrive, right? Nobody's like, you know, I really want my kid, you know, to be in the bottle for the rest of his life, you know? Um, I really want my kid to be so dependent on me where he never wants to leave the house. No, nobody wants that. No healthy parent wants that for the, themselves. Uh, some parents might, you know, want that, God bless you. But no, our goal is what, to raise them up so they can go, man, right? That they can thrive and, and be who God has designed them to be. And we wanna see them grow into full stature and full maturity. As parents, as, as sinful, flawed parents, we desire that for our children. How much more our Heavenly Father, when he, he sees his children who he's redeemed by the blood of Christ, he desires to see us grow in our spiritual maturity, grow in our walk. If we examine the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, we see all throughout this instruction from God on how we might grow spiritually how we can move from independence to dependence upon him, to trusting God, to, live, to living for God, for, to, to reflecting the life of Christ in the world around us. You know what we call that? A disciple of Jesus. That's really what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who reflects Jesus in the world around us. And you know what? We've got all kinds of stuff from our past that sometimes hinders us from moving out in this new nature, right? And so therefore we must, we must pursue growth. We must pursue maturity. God invites us to grow in our walk with him. And you know, that, that, that idea that uh, really ought not to um, scare us, um, but we need to see it just as what it is. It's an invitation for us to know God better, to love him more fully, to understand his love for us more fully, to reflect Jesus in the world around us. And so this idea of, of growing spiritually in, in, in our maturity, it's not homework, it's an invitation. 
It's a journey towards Christ-likeness. So I mentioned last week that there's, there's five characteristics that really um, are necessary on our end uh, for us to um, pursue our spiritual growth. The first one is we must have intentionality, right? We must purpose in our hearts to grow. We must go for it. It, it needs to be something that we go after, that we recognize our need. There's intent in our spiritual growth. Secondly, there needs to be prioritization, right? You can have all the intention in the world, but at the end of the day, if you don't prioritize it, if you don't move some of the things out of your way that's keeping you from growing spiritually, it's just going to become a dream. But it becomes a, the dream becomes a reality when we identify those things that keep us from our spiritual growth and we remove those things or we put boundaries around those things. So we prioritize our walk with God. We prioritize our time in the word, our prayer, our fellowship, um, just our time with Jesus. So we see intentionality, prioritization. Thirdly, there needs to be humility, right? That, that, that means that we have this understanding. We recognize our need for God. We're recognizing our sincere need for God and for his strength and his wisdom and his input into our life. Number four, we need community. God has designed us in such a way, right? Paul said that the, that the, the, the church is like the, is the body of Christ, right? We need one another. God has so designed the church to operate and be healthy like a body, right? Each one needing the other parts of the body. The eye, he says in, verse, in chapter 12 of, of 1 Corinthians, the eye can't say to me, say to the foot, I don't need you. The foot can't say to the hand, I don't need you, right? Every part of the body needs every other part of the body so that we can function in a healthy way. Well, Paul says the church is the body of Christ and we need each other. And so we talked about the prioritization or the, the um, the, the key ingredient of community. And then fifth, fifthly, we talked about the fact that everything we do needs to flow out of a heart of love for God, not out of religious duty or obligation, right? Everything must flow from a heart of love and not religious duty. It means we don't look and say, oh, I've got to read my Bible. I've got to pray. Here's the things I've got to do. No, we, look, we need to look at that out of an expression of love that says, I'm going to spend time in the word. I'm going to learn more about this God who loves me and knows me and has a plan and purpose for my life. It must flow from a heart of love and not religious duty. Religious duty always leads to relational disappointment. Religious duty always leads to relational disappointment. If we do all these things in a religious fashion, we're not going to experience the dynamic of relationship we can have in God unless we're doing it out of a heart of love. God is not looking for our, our duty, our actions. He's looking for our heart, right? Again, so this is all, now we look at those things, we, we talked about the fact that this is all lens, viewed through the lens of, of the Holy Spirit who's, who's working in us and through us to accomplish that. Because I know that when I talk about spiritual maturity, some people just go, oh, I don't have the tools in my bag to do that. You know, I've tried that. It's not my makeup. I'm not designed in that way. I can't pull it off, right? And, and, but the reality of it is, and the good news is, that it is the Holy Spirit that is at work in us 
to do it. The scripture says in Ephesians that, that, that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, right? Paul said, I'm confident of this thing, very thing that he who began a good work in you, he's going to complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. And so we must hold in proper tension the awareness that while I am called to do, I also recognize it as the Holy Spirit who's going to complete the work in us. We looked at Philippians chapter two and verse 12 and 13, where Paul presents a really uh, beautiful visual, if, if I can use that word, uh, of, a, of a tension, a healthy tension that needs to be uh, maintained. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, right? In other words, man, do everything you can do within your own resources to accomplish and obey what God is calling you to do. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for, he continues, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I love that. We see this incredible, healthy, uh, a dynamic, this, this tension, if you will, that, that needs to exist. It's this idea of doing everything we can out of a heart of love, knowing that where I fall short, the Holy Spirit will accomplish in me what my own resources and efforts can never do. I mentioned last week, I'm like, you know, and it had, you know, I don't know where that starts and where it stops, right? Where do my efforts stop and God's efforts start? Um, I, I'm not smart enough to understand that. I just know this. And here's kind of like how I live my life. I live my life thinking like, acting like it all depends on me, but I sleep at night knowing that it all depends on him. Right, I'm working out my own salvation. I'm doing what I can do with what's, with what's before me to do. Anything the Holy Spirit puts in my heart to deal with, I, with my best efforts, I'm doing the best I can to grow in that area. But I know that I don't have the resources inside myself to accomplish that work in my life. And so I sleep at night knowing that what this brain can't conceive, the Holy Spirit will accomplish in the sanctifying work in my life. It is God who works in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. And so we talked about that last week and we talked about the significance of, and the importance of, 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 of understanding we are called to grow. It's God's will for us to grow. It's the invitation that has been given to us to grow and to thrive in our walk with Jesus. And so we see this call and this affirmation uh, to maturity. We see it taking place all throughout the, the, the writings of the Apostle Paul, if we were just to single him out, right? I mean, all the writers adjust, uh, address it one way or another. But, but as we look at just the Apostle Paul, we see that, that in, the, in the three quarters of the books of the New Testament that he wrote, he's consistently calling the church to pursue spiritual growth. But I mentioned last week that one of the churches, in particular Philippi, uh, we see that, that as we look at chapter four, there's a really good structure that's in place there that I thought would really be good for us to kind of, um, kind of unpack together these next couple of weeks and, and challenge our hearts, allow the Holy Spirit to, to look inward and, and work in us according to his goodwill so we, could, we can grow together. So we'll be focusing on chapter four these, these next couple of weeks and there's, there's seven characteristics 
um, seven things in this chapter four that, that Paul will highlight regarding spiritual maturity. He will either affirm that it's taking place already in their lives or he will uh, fan the flame in their church to kind of maybe a weakness that needs to get stronger. But we see that Paul will address seven things in the fullness of chapter four that we're going to look at uh, these next couple of weeks together. And so we're not going to kind of fly by the text. We're going we're to kind of really allow the text to, to speak to our hearts. Amen? So let's take a look over at uh, chapter four and verse one, and we'll see what Paul has to say. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Udiah and I entreat Sintike to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Let's just stop right there. And so Paul is addressing this church. We see, we see right from the beginning of this, um, this, this, this change of thought from where he was, the previous chapters, we see Paul's warm affection for the church. We see the heart of the Apostle Paul and, and we recognize that he is not one who leads with a heavy stick, but he leads with his heart. And he addresses the church at Philippi, perhaps uh, one of his uh, most dear churches to him. But look, look at the way in which he addresses them. He says, my brothers whom I love, my brothers whom I long for, I love that. He calls them my joy and my crown. You're my joy and you're my crown. You're, I like this. He said, you're my, my true companion. A study in the life of the ministry of the apostle Paul. You, 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 you see that Paul had a lot of people who were with him one moment and against him the next. A lot of companions that were not true companions. But Philippi, he, he, he recognizes that this church, this group of people, you're, you're my true companion. He calls them my beloved, my beloved. There was no other church that Paul refers to with, with such strong affection. I like, I like, I like it. He says, you're, you're my crown. Isn't that beautiful? In other words, when I see you and I see your faithfulness, that's my reward. You're, you're like a, it's like a crown on my head. It's beautiful. It's my joy. Clearly there was a love, there was a relationship, there was a, a friendship that existed between the Apostle Paul and the church at Philippi. But I submit to you that that wouldn't have been possible if the, if the dynamics within the church weren't already in place. In other words, what Paul was experiencing were characteristics that clearly were a part of the character of that particular church. We see that, that Philippi was a church that was mature. They were a church that were in community together. They were a church that were committed to the gospel. They were committed to one another. He highlights the fact that they were working alongside each other. He recognized that their faithfulness, and I mean, he goes on and on about the beauty and the maturity of this church. 
And the first point that I want to bring out to you is something that Paul is highlighting here. It's the maturity that's in companionship. Maturity in companionship. And again, he calls them, you're my true companion. Just, just a synonym for you to understand what I mean by companionship. It's more than just, um, it, it, it speaks of like friends, partners, co-laborers, relationship, right? It, you're, it's, it's this dynamic of relationship that exists. And I use companionship because each of the seven points we have, we're going to start with the C. Makes it easy for everybody to remember. So we're going to go with companionship. But when we talk about that, we're talking about just the, the, the dynamics that exist between friendships and, and connections and relationships and partnerships and so on and so forth. And, and he highlights the maturity that existed in their companionship. This is a church that was mature in the way in which they labored alongside the Apostle Paul. They were mature in the way in which they labored alongside one another. And what's beautiful about, about companionship is it's reciprocated, right? The church at Philippi benefited from the relationship that they had with Paul in the same way that Paul benefited from the relationship he had with Philippi. And so we recognize that in a, in a healthy relationship, in a healthy friendship or companionship, there ought to be reciprocating dynamics in that relationship. This was a church that, that was mature in their companionship, but notice, not everything was perfect. Notice that right in the midst of Paul affirming their companionship with him and affirming his, their companionship with one another, he admonishes the church to come alongside two sisters who are struggling and unable to find agreement in the Lord. Look at the text in verse two. He says, I entreat Udiah, I entreat Sintike to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion. Now, we don't know who true companion is. It doesn't, it doesn't reveal. It's probably one of the leaders in the church that would then bring this content to the rest of the body that was there. But, but he, he's, he is directing it to the leader, in, uh, in, directly to the leader, but indirectly to the church. Yes, I ask you, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together. I like that. In, I, I entreat Udiah. I entreat Sintike. In other words, I beg you. I be, it behooves you. Listen to me. Find agreement in the Lord. Now, we don't know the dynamics of what was taking place between them. We don't know what they were in disagreement about, right? But we do know this, that somehow it had gotten back to Paul. And he implores them to find agreement. And then he, he calls in the troops, right? He calls in the community and says, man, will you, will you come alongside these two dear sisters? Now, let me point out, these women were not sinful women. Paul affirms their ministries. Paul acknowledges that, that these ladies had, had labored alongside him in the ministry of the gospel. And so it wasn't like they were just some, some people who showed up once in a while. They were a part of the ministry. There was relationship. There was connection. They, they had shared in the journey of ministry together. And Paul is recognizing that these ladies had a very viable ministry. Clearly, they were leaders of some sort within the church. And they needed to find 
unity amongst the two of them. They couldn't find agreement. And so, so Paul says, help them. Help them get there. Why? I mean, he's not speaking about troublemakers in the church. But he's asking them to come alongside these ladies so that reconciliation could be realized, so that relationships can be preserved or restored depending on how deep it got, and most importantly, that the gospel mission wouldn't be hindered. Come alongside them. I find it encouraging that this is included in the text. Can I just tell you, nothing is ever arbitrary in the Bible. Nothing is just kind of thrown in there without a reason for it being in there. And I just find this very interesting that this was included. This, 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 I mean, this story was, this, this part was preserved for thousands of years for us to read and glean from. And I find that that, that, that particular disagreement, I find that encouraging because it serves as a reminder that even in the midst of the most godly people, tensions can arise. Even in the midst of the most godly people, the godly leaders, right? Agreement must be sought. It must be pursued. And, and, when, and when you can't land the plane by yourselves, you pull in some help from the church so that that unity isn't destroyed. And so Paul paints a beautiful picture of pro- the proper way of dealing with conflict in the church right there. I love it. It's also a great reminder that, that, that the perfect church just doesn't exist. It just doesn't exist all the way back to the church of Philippi. As long as there's people in the church, it's not going to be perfect, right? We are an imperfect people serving a perfect God. And we together need to see each other through the lens of the perfection of Christ so that we can appreciate and love and have patience with one another because the patience I extend to somebody one day probably is going to need to be extended to me another, right? And so we see this church that is clearly strong and mature in their companionship, but, but, but not perfect. And so they needed to pursue maturity in that area. And what's true for Philippi is true for integrity as well, right? If, 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 if Philippi needed to grow in this area, we're candidates as well. We need to grow too. We ought to pursue maturity in our companionship. Now, what we're going to do these next couple of weeks together is we're going to, we're going to look at a different dynamic that Paul will address in this section of Scripture. And, and we're going to ask ourselves, uh, here's how we're going to tackle it. We're going to ask ourselves some assessing questions. Right? We're going to kind of, not, not out loud, don't worry. We're not, no, not going to put it on the spot. But we're going to look at the text and then we're going to have a moment where we we do some examination on our own hearts. I want to give you some questions and I encourage you to write them down or, or, or tune back in and catch it again later. But some questions to help you to grow in that area, some questions to ask yourself to bring to God in prayer, to come before the Lord and ask the Holy Spirit to, to examine your own heart so that you might grow in that area. Because you can't expect unless you inspect, right? And so it's helpful to, to inspect, to look within, allow the, the text of the scripture to examine our hearts and then bring it to the Holy Spirit. Find a place, find a, a pause in your week where you can just say, 
Lord, here's some things I need to work on. Help me, help me to reflect you in these different areas. So we'll be looking at, so I'm gonna bring some assessing questions. And then what we'll do is uh, we're gonna look at a couple of ways in which you, we can mature in those areas. We're gonna put some tools in each other's belts so that we can walk out of here and say, all right, cool, here's, here's my problem. And here's how I need to move forward so that my weaknesses become stronger. My strengths can continue to become stronger yet, right? And so when we think about this idea of, of maturity in our companionship, how do I assess the maturity of my companionship? How do I assess the maturity in my, my relational dynamics? Well, we need to get really honest with ourselves. And we need to look in the mirror. We need to ask ourselves some probing questions. And we need to bring those questions to the, to the Lord who, who loves us and is committed to our, our spiritual growth. We need to ask ourselves some, perhaps even some uncomfortable questions. Questions like, am I a good friend? Am I a good friend? I mean, would I want me as a friend? Am I dependable and loyal and all the things that I would define a friend as, all the things that I look for in other people, do I reflect the kind of friendship that I seek after? Lord, is there things in me that keep me from being a good friend? Questions like, am I a peacemaker? I mean, Lord, I know you call us to be peacemakers, but, but am I a peacemaker? Well, here's a great way of knowing if you're a peacemaker. Every time you leave the room, if there's not a peaceful situation that's left behind, it's probably a good indication you're not a peacemaker, right? If you leave the room and conflict is left behind, that's a great moment to go to the Lord and say, God, why do I do that? I know that that's not the heart of Jesus and I, that's not what you have for me and I don't, and I don't even want that. So, Lord, help me to be a peacemaker. Help me to understand, why do I do that? Does conflict seem to follow me everywhere that I go? That's a good question to ask ourselves. Does conflict seem to follow me everywhere I go? Well, let me look at the last number of conversations I've had with people. Did, they, did, I, did I feel like I had to always go, do I, am I, do I always feel like I have to go back and make things right and be clear on different things? And you know, why is it that everywhere I go, eventually conflict arises? And, and if I got really honest with myself, the common denominator with all the conflict of everybody around it is me. Holy Spirit, I don't want that to be the case. I, I, I want to be like Jesus in that area. You see, there is no fast track to that. And you're not shocking God. He knows. Help me in that area. Here's a good question. Do, do people feel safe around me? Not just physically safety, but, but emotionally safe. Do they feel like they can share something that they're concerned about or going through and they're not going to feel like I've, you know, I'm judging them or I'm defining them or I'm debating them or I'm, or I'm unvalidating what they just said. Do people feel safe around me? 
And here's a great way to know if they, if, if, if they do feel that way. Do people really confide in you? Do people bear all because they know that you're trustworthy, right? Here's one. Do I use people to get what I want? Do I see everybody as a means to a greater end for me? Do I purposely connect with people because, well, you know what? If I, if, if I connect with this person, I'll benefit here. My career will benefit there. My social life will benefit there. I don't know. But do I see people as a means to a greater end? Can I tell you, people read right through that. They read right through that. And if that's the case, Lord, I don't want that to happen in my life. You see, if you don't take moments of pause to think about these things, I mean, when was the last time you thought about that? Right? I mean, really. But maturity recognizes I'm not perfect. And I serve somebody who is. And you know what? Everything relationally that I engage in, whether it's through marriage, through my kids, my, my friends, my, my, my partners in ministry, my relatives, whatever, every dynamic of relationship is covered in the scriptures to teach us how we might thrive. God knows how we tick. God knows how we, we, we can have healthy relationships. God's word addresses everything in our lives. And you know what ends up happening a lot of times? You know why relationships get dysfunctional? Because too many times we draw from our hurts from the past and we define our present relationships by our hurts from the past. And you see, the problem is when you pull from the hurts of the past, you'll repeat, you'll repeat them in the future. And so our, our past isn't always the best metric. But what is true and what is the best metric is God's word that is unchanging, that is complete and whole and doesn't focus on what everybody else is doing wrong because that's what my past does. My past says, well, they did this, they did that. Oh, but I see this happening again and I'm a victim over here and I felt like they did this to me. No, what the word of God says is, how's your heart? What's going on in the inside of you? And let me work with that. And that'll affect how you deal with the other areas. Here's one. Do I tend to think the best or the worst of people around me when they're not around? That's a good one. Is your default setting when that person, maybe you haven't seen him for a week, two weeks, six weeks, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, what, what happened? You know, and you, you, you create this narrative and they're not looking too good in the narrative, right? Because you've already summed them up and, and kind of, you know, you've been the judge, jury, and executioner already, right? Lord, why do I do that? Why, why, why do I, why don't I think the best of people? Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. The scripture says love never fails and so love ought to believe the best all the time whether the person there is there or not. Help me, Lord, to not allow my disappointments and the pains from the past to filter in. Help me to think the best of people. Help me to know why I do that and then free me from doing it. Here's one. It's good stuff, right? It's fun. Do people feel safe gossiping around me? 
Mm. I mean, like, why is it everywhere I go, people feel like they want me, like, like, like I want to know the dirt on every situation, right? Do people feel safe gossiping around me? I need to take that to the prayer, to prayer and say, God, what am I putting out there that says to people it's safe for them to deposit their garbage in my garbage can? Because that's what gossip is. What, what am I putting out there that invites negativity and criticism? Because, you know, if it's one person or two people, there, you'll always find those people. But it just seems like every time I get alone with somebody, why is it that people feel like I want to hear it? If, there's a, if everybody seems to be doing that, the common denominator has got to be right here. And Lord, I don't want to do that. God, you hate gossip. God, help me to hate what you hate. Here's the last one right here. Do I have long-term friendships that I maintain? That's a great question to ask ourselves as we want to mature in our companionship. Do I have long-term friendships or do I redefine myself every four or five years, right? You have a different group of people every four or five years. I'm with this group. Now, now, it's, now it's like those people don't even exist anymore. Now it's this group, right? This is the flavor of the month. This is the one we're loving right now. And then, oh yeah, no, this, they just found that about me or they rubbed me the wrong way. Okay, time to move on. And we move on to this group, right? Now I've covered every group in the church. Time to leave church. He's going to go find another church and we're going to go start something over here. Nobody knows me. And they start to reinvent. And the problem is the thing that keeps them from breaking from group to group is the very thing oftentimes that if they'll just push it through it, it will become the glue that binds that relationship even tighter. But we're afraid to go deep sometimes and be vulnerable with one another. And sometimes... On the surface, it's a lot easier just to leave. The problem is we retard our growth every time we do that. I love the fact that I've got friends that I hang out with, you know, from way back. I've got guys actually here that are in my wedding party that are here in the church. Pastor Frank, who married us 25 years ago. I'm going to lunch tomorrow with two guys I went to kindergarten with. You know, I love that. I, I love that. And because I just feel like, you know, there's a blessing in history together. And, and, and I think that we, we rob ourselves of that blessing by being quick to check out. Now, before you spiral into a depression as you think of these things, um, I think a little bit of this is true in every one of us. Can I tell you? This might make you want to leave the church. This is a very easy list for me to write. You know why? Because I'm it. Those are the things I struggle with. Those are the things I don't want to do. Those are the things that I need to grow in. Those are the things that hopefully not as, you know, you know what I'm saying. These are the things that, that we recognize. Hey, you know what? This is the part of my humanity that has got to go to the cross. This is not what I want to be reflected in the world around me that I have an opportunity to influence for Jesus. That doesn't look like Jesus. And I want to look like Jesus everywhere I go. And so before you kind of beat yourself up and feeling like a big loser, we're on this journey to maturity. It's the Holy Spirit is going to do the work in us, right? So don't beat yourself up. 
but work out your own salvation. Put in the sweat, put in the hard work, ask yourself the questions, carve out the time, turn off the TV, shut down the social media, get along with father and ask, what is it in me that doesn't look like you? Help me to grow and mature in my companionship. How do we grow? How do we mature in this area? <clears throat> we grow in this area two, two, two ways I'm going to show you. Um, number one, and, and it's, a, it's a no-brainer, the word of God, right? The, the word of God speaks to every situation that we face. It's not just some holy book of disconnected thoughts that we have the, 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 the religious stuff over here and then the real life stuff over here. No, the word of God speaks to our real life situations and helps us to lead lives the way we're designed to lead them. It addresses every area of life. And so if you want to mature as a friend, as a companion, as a partner, look up the word in the scripture, look up the word friendship in your concordance and look at every area that it's mentioned in the scripture and see how it is used and how it defi- it's defined in that area of scripture and allow the word of God to define friendship with you and not the broken hurts friendships from the past. Because the broken stuff from the past will be repeated in the future if we keep pulling it back and applying it to our presence, our present. So the word of God, I mean, get a hold, go into in 1 Samuel chapter 18 and, and look at the relationship between Jonathan and David. What a beautiful relationship of these two brothers, these two men, these two friends that lived for each other, willing to die for each other, right? Now, unfortunately, the gay community would love to hold that relationship up as an example of two men who had a love relationship Together, I only bring this up to say there is nothing that would suggest that in any way. That is a stretch that is beyond uh, credulity. What we have there is a picture of, of true friendship and the way in which that dynamic is to be played out on the field of life. So we allow the word of God to define what our companionship looks like. And then secondly, another way, great way to grow in this area, which will be downright uncomfortable at times, Ask people. Ask your friends. Ask those people who are close to you. How do I come across as a friend? Do I, fear, do I come across as selfish or unavailable or whatever? Have that honest conversation with, with a handful of people. Not with the intention of beating yourself up, but with the intention of growing. You know? And then look, are there patterns is the same thing seem to be say, being said by people that, that do love me, right? That, that takes humility. That goes back to the help me, tell me, show me before we can follow me part, right? It takes humility. It takes intentionality. It takes vulnerability and transparency. But on the other side of that conversation is a deeper walk with your companions and a greater depth of maturity in your life that will last a lifetime. Why is, this so, why is that so important? Why do I need community? Why do I need to grow in my companionship? Because we were created and called to community. God's designed us in such a way that we're better together. And anything I can do 
to grow in that area so that I might be a better pastor, a better brother, a better friend, a better whatever. I owe that to the rest of my body to be healthy. Look at the picture Paul paints of the community working together, right? He's like, I implore you, Udaya, I implore you, Sintiche, to, 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 to find agreement in the Lord. And then he says, and I also ask you, church, true companion, help these women, come alongside them. Sometimes a third party is very helpful because they're not having to defend a position. And so the third party can come in and help and bring clarity. You see a beautiful picture of community and reconciliation taking place in the midst of this church that is held up as a model of maturity in the scriptures. Pick up, let's go over to verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, following this, this warm greeting and this, this admonishment to, to come alongside Udiah and Sintike, he directs their attention now on their character. On their character. And more specifically, the way in which they respond to God, others, and themselves. Because the way in which we respond to God and others and ourselves has everything to do with our character, with what's going on in the inside, what's under the hood, right? It has everything to do with who we are. And so this next section we want to look at is maturity in our character. Maturity in our character. Now, many have said that your character is defined by who you are when nobody's looking. I like that. Your character is defined by who you are when nobody is looking. It's the inner you that drives every decision, that drives every action that you do. Nobody might really know what's going on under the hood, but the thing that drives you is a, is a reflection of your character. And Paul directs the, this maturing church to, to look upward first as they mature in their character. He says to them, hey, listen, rejoice in the Lord. And he repeats himself. And again, I say, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. In other words, find your joy in God. Find your joy in God. You know, there's a big difference between happiness and joy. We could, have, we could be, you know, hopefully we're coming out of a crazy season. There wasn't a lot of happiness going on. But you know what? Our joy should have remained untouched because our joy is not connected to circumstances. Our joy is connected to a person that does not change, whose plans are not altered, or, and whose, whose ways and heart is perfect towards us. And so what Paul calls them to do is to rejoice, find your joy in the Lord. You know, when circumstances cloud the awesomeness of God, and we can do that sometimes, right? We can forget how big God is. We can allow our little thing to block 
the awesomeness of God. And what, when that happens, we, we get sidetracked in our faith. We get, we get stuck in the weeds. And we become a victim to the circumstances around us. But maturity in the Lord causes us to look beyond our circumstances and rejoice in the God who is over our circumstances, right? Find our joy in God is the first part. Secondly, Paul directs the maturing church, not now first to look in, upward, now to look outward. He says, look, let your reasonableness be known to everyone, verse five. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. That's a hard word for us to kind of unpack and, and live out on a Tuesday. Like what, what is like this idea of, what do you mean, let everyone know my reasonableness? What, here's, here's some synonyms to reasonableness that's using the same Greek word that, that, that Paul used in, in the text. Um, synonyms of reasonableness would be gentleness or, or good sense. Let that be made known to everyone. Or courtesy. We, we, we have a very discourteous culture, don't we? Courtesy is lost. He says, let your courtesy be known to everyone. Or patience. Let it be known to everyone. Or, or forbearance. You know the difference between patience and forbearance? Forbearance kicks in when patience runs out. <laughs> right? Sometimes I'm just going to be patient, but then other times it's like, oh, I got to really forbear now. It's like we're now, we're moving into another arena of patience that seems like it's beyond my ability to muster up, right? It's the, and he says, but let that be known to everyone. In other words, let the way you conduct yourselves to others be consistent with your mature character. Look upward to God and rejoice and find your joy in God. Look outward to the world and ensure that as, as I'm seeking to mature in my character, what am I putting out there? How am I coming across? Can I, can I just, as a, as a side note, that's got to be the question we always have to ask ourselves. If you've ever done any reading on emotional intelligence, it's, it's really a fascinating study. One of the most important traits that a, not just a Christian, but a person can have. Emotional intelligence is our awareness of how we're coming across to other people. Our awareness of how we're coming across. Have you ever, don't, don't throw any names out, but do you ever come across someone and they, they just kind of drop a bunch of stuff and you think, do they have any idea how they're coming across to me? They don't. Their emotional intelligence is in the tank. Right? And so, great study. Just really encourage you to Google it. There's great tools because what's beautiful about emotional intelligence, which is more important than your IQ, a lot of corporations hire on EQ, emotional intelligence, as opposed to IQ. Your emotional intelligence, unlike IQ, you really can't change that number. What you got, it's like a box of chocolate, you get what you get, right? Um, your EQ, though, you can grow in that area, right? That's something you can develop over time. And so, your EQ is where we recognize, you know, when we take a moment of pause, we consider, how am I coming across when I say this to other people? And so, man, if we would just, if we would just put that in motion, because that's kind of synonymous with what he's saying here, let your reasonableness be made known to all men. Well, you know what? If we consider how we're, what we're putting out there and how it's coming across, we'll be able to influence them for Christ. 
Let the way you conduct yourselves to others be consistent with your mature character. Thirdly, Paul directs the maturing church then to look inward. So it's first upward, outward, and now inward. And I'll wrap it up with this. He says, look, he says in verse uh, 5b, he says, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Paul is encouraging this church, this maturing church, to address their anxiety by bringing it to God in prayer. And that has everything to do with our character. If it's true that our character is defined by who we are when nobody else is looking, then we must ask ourselves the question, what do I do with my anxiety when nobody is looking? When the, in the heat of the moment, what do, how do I respond to anxiety? Do I use my anxiety as permission to lash out on people or to attack or utilize some vice, some drink, some smoke, some whatever? Do I give myself permission to use those things because, well, I'm anxious. I don't have to be so nice because, hey, I'm going through something, right? We need to ask ourselves the question, what do I do with my anxiety? And to the degree that we are growing in the Lord, it will greatly affect how we deal with anxiety. And so the question really isn't so much whether you have anxiety, but what you do with that anxiety. Paul's invitation to this growing church is that they, that they you got, he says, don't be anxious about anything. In other words, you don't have to park there. You don't have to live there. Let me give you an out on how to deal with anxiety. He says, instead, we are to take everything to God in prayer, is what he says. Now, when we pray, we're recognizing God is in control of all things. Help me, tell me, Show me, right? When we pray, we're recognizing God is in control of all things. When we don't pray, we're assuming control over things that we can't control. And you know what that produces? More anxiety. And we find ourselves on that little hamster wheel going and trying to fix it and independently of, of God. And, and as we're trying to work that thing out, apart from God, we're getting more and more anxious and we're trying to deal with our anxiety a little bit more and blaming everybody, smoking this and drinking that and going there and connecting with this. And we try all these different things to get rid of the anxiety and nothing works. In fact, it gets worse because it produces even more anxiety. Pursuing maturity in our character causes us to consider how we look upward to God, outward to others, and inward toward the things we try and control but can't. And so what are some of the assessing questions that we would do well to consider in our time alone with Jesus? Number one, do, do I find my joy in God? Do I find my joy in God? Do I only seem to get excited and, 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 and grounded when things are going on around me that are good? Am I confusing joy with happiness? Do I find my joy in God? Secondly, do I rejoice in the Lord or only in other things? 
Do I rejoice when everything's going good? Do I go rejoice when everything's going my way? Or I just do, or do I just rejoice in the Lord that he is sovereign over the universe, that he sits in the heavens and that his kingdom is unshakable and I am his? I find a place to rejoice. Is my gentleness and patience observed by others? There's a tough question to ask five people who are around you. Right? My gentleness and patience coming across. As I said before, a great question. What, what do I do with my anxiety? What does that look like? It means, it means like in that time alone with the Lord, go back to a time where you're anxious and, and remember that moment and, and think, well, how did I deal with that? And then Lord, why do I deal with it like that? Where did I learn that? I don't know where that came from, but God, I don't want, I don't want to do that. I'm going to bring these things to you in prayer. And then here's the other one. Do I, do, I have, do I have the peace of God in difficult circumstances? Do I have the peace of God in difficult times? It's a great way to assess. Am I, am I the ping pong ball that's going back and forth, back and forth as every single answer to yesterday's problem gets changed today, right? And then, no, that doesn't work. Yes, this does work. Don't do this. Put that on. Don't go here. Touch this. Don't do that. It's like we just like the ping pong going back and forth. Do we have the peace of God in the midst of changing difficult times? Some great questions to Answer and then submit them back to me on Thursday when you're done. <laughs> Pastor Frank's going to fix you. <laughs> so how do I grow in this area? With this, I'll wrap up. How do we grow in this area? Well, Paul gives us the solution right there in the text. We don't need to go beyond what the text says. He says, the Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Everything we are called to do, right? We, we, take, we take the results of our assessment. We bring it to God in prayer. We take the relationships. We take the disappointments. We take the mindsets, the distractions, all the things that we tend to get anxious over. And we say, God, I'm bringing this to you. Help me. Tell me. Show me how I ought to deal with these things. And what ends up happening is we give him what we have, which causes anxiety. And notice the exchange we get. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will rule your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. God will take that which causes anxiety and exchange it with the peace of God. You see, when we're governed by the peace of God, it impacts every area of maturity in our life. Maturity in our companionship, those that we walk with, those that we're on this journey with, that we would mature. How many want to mature in that area, right? I, mean, I, want, to be, I want to be everything I can be to people because I'm called to be Jesus in the world. And that means I need to get out of the way of myself and let the life of Christ be lived out in me. I, I want to grow in my character. As I look up and out and in, I want to ensure that what God has, has, has put on me and, and, and given me is opportunities to grow, that I'll work out my own salvation with fear and trembling, and, but I'll do it out of love for God and not out of religious duty. 
trusting that the Holy Spirit will accomplish what my own resources never could. And the next week, we're going to unpack a couple of more of those in Philippians chapter 4 as we, as we pursue spiritual maturity together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that your word speaks to every situation of life. Our relationship with you, our relationship with each other, our relationship in our own personal relationships, our worker, our coworker. I mean, it addresses everything. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that as we're on this journey to, um, to Christ-likeness, I pray that you'd give us great grace. Lord, that you would take these words that I shared this morning and whatever um, needs to be reminded of, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would do that work in each and every one of our hearts. And that, Lord, you'd grow us in such a way that we reflect Christ to one another and to the community to which we are called to influence. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.